0: They are all taking their seats. If you would take your copy of God's word and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 11. That's where we're going to start today. And as they're sitting down, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for all of the many blessings you give us. We thank you for the gift of life. And Father, we thank you that we can meet peacefully in your name. Father, we thank you that you go before us and behind us. And Lord, we thank you that in you there is eternal life. And so, God, I pray that as we dig into your word this morning, Lord, I pray that we would uh, read the words that you've said, and I pray that they would come alive. I pray that we would be able to apply them to, their li- to our lives. And, God, I pray that in doing so, I pray that we would become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, I pray that uh, all of these things, in your son's precious name, amen. So we are in Matthew chapter 11, and just to kind of give you a, a recap of the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew has uh, explained to you who the Messiah is, and he has done it uh, from a Jewish perspective. And so Matthew is a book with a predominantly Jewish audience and so that's going to kind of come into play a little bit today because there's going to be uh, Matthew is going to assume that you know certain things about the Old Testament which you already do um, And so hopefully that will make this passage come a little bit more alive to you And so without uh, further ado, let's dig in because we'll end up reviewing uh, as we go through some of the text and so John, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 11 in verse 1 says, When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And so what's happened is that Jesus has just sent out the disciples by twos, and he sent them out to uh, heal lepers, to uh, let the blind see. He's turned them loose to do all sorts of great miracles, raising the dead, uh, casting out demons. And then when he sent them out, he left there to teach and preach in the cities as well. Then you get down to verse two and it says When John excuse me, now when John, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples. And so during this time of Jesus calling his disciples and spending a little bit of time with his disciples John the Baptist who's the front runner to Jesus Christ has found himself imprisoned. And John the Baptist is in prison because he said a few things to Herod that Herod took offense to Namely about Herod's marriage to this lady And they didn't like it, they were offended by the things that, uh, that John said And so Herod, because he's the king, he puts John the Baptist in prison And so John now is in prison And he sends word to Jesus. And so if you're John the Baptist, just put yourself in his shoes for a minute. You've been called by God to be a prophet from the, from even before you were conceived, you've been called by God to be a prophet. And so he goes about prophesying, he gets a chance to see Christ, and he tells everyone, this is the one whose shoes I'm worthy, I'm unworthy to untie. And Jesus begins his ministry and John's prayer is he must increase and I must decrease and so John has been on point with everything that he's done And John's life is progressing and we're uh, About 30 years. Jesus had started his ministry. So Jesus is around 30 years old And so John has been seeing Jesus for 30 years. Jesus is beginning his ministry John's in prison and now John is beginning to have some doubts and so John sends some of his disciples to Jesus, verse 3, and said to him, Are you the expected one, or shall we look for someone else? And so John is in prison, and he's doubting. Now, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to think less of John because of his doubts. What I want you to see is some very commendable things about John. And so he's wondering, are you the expected one, verse 3, or shall we look for someone else, verse 4? Jesus answered and said to them, Jesus is talking to John's disciples, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And so what happens is that Jesus takes some of the Old Testament and he quotes it to John's disciples for John, for excuse me, for John's disciples to take back and encourage John with. And so what he does is he quotes straight from Isaiah. This is Isaiah 35-4. You don't have to turn there. But Isaiah 35, 4 says, Say to those with anxious heart, Take courage and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, and the recompense of God will come. But He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer... And the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. And so what happens is that Jesus encourages John, not with a, yes, I am, but he goes to scripture to encourage John. And he tells John, look, the things that I'm doing match up perfectly with the prophets that came before you. And I'm fulfilling all of these prophecies that are in scripture. And that is what is going to encourage John. And so what happens now in Matthew is that Uh, He tells, well, he tells the John through his disciples and blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And so he goes on to say, hey, listen, I'm who the scriptures say I am. I'm fulfilling all of these scriptures. And the end is blessed is he who doesn't take offense at me. Blessed is he who can unashamedly put his whole faith in me and not be offended at me to give John encouragement. And so John's disciples go away, verse 7, and as these men were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. And so what had probably happened was that John's disciples came up to Jesus, and there were other people around. And the other people hear that John is doubting who Jesus is. And so Jesus, because he's a friend of John, he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. So, undoubtedly, these crowds are doubtful now about John, who's the prophet amongst them. And so Jesus goes to bat for him and says, listen, you went out to the wilderness to see John. What did you go out there to see? Did you go out there to see a reed shaken by the wind? And so, did you go out into the wilderness to see someone who was spineless, who went wherever the wind would blow? Is that who you went out to the wilderness to see? And the implied answer is no. But what did you go out there? Verse 8. But what did you go out there to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. And so he says, did you go out there to see someone who was spineless, who would go wherever? Did you go out there to see someone who was wearing a wearer of soft clothes who belonged in a king's palace? If you're going to be in the king's palace most of the time, you've got to say whatever the, is going to make the king happy for him to keep you around. And so did you go out to see somebody who's easily swayed by the wind? Did you go out there to see somebody who was just going to say whatever needed to be said to make the king happy and get along and wear nice things? The implied answer is no, we didn't go out there to see that. Verse nine. But what did you go out there to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you. And one who is more than a prophet. And so Jesus tells them, listen, don't you doubt John because of his doubts. John is more than a prophet. This is the one, verse 10. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And so again, he's quoting scripture to these people. And so listen to where this one comes from. This particular one comes from the book of Malachi. And if you remember anything about the book of Malachi, Malachi is the last book leading up to the New Testament. And so the last, uh, special, or excuse me, the last revelation that we have from God, to his people, comes from the book of Malachi. Malachi has four chapters, and this particular prophecy comes from Malachi chapter 3. And so this is almost the end of the Old Testament leading up to Jesus. And the prophecy says this, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. so Jesus goes to bat for John and says, listen, you look at the very end of prophecy from God and John is the one. John is the messenger who's coming to clear the way for the Lord. Don't doubt John and don't doubt me who John is pointing to. You keep going. And it says here, truly, I say to you, verse 11, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And so he tells the people, listen. John the Baptist is the greatest one who's ever been born of woman. No one has arisen greater than he. And so just take a minute and reflect on John's doubt. And then reflect on Jesus's affirmation of John saying that there's no one born of woman greater than John. I want you to be encouraged today that if you have doubts, if you've ever wrestled with doubts, you're in very, very good company in John the Baptist. Listen, the scriptures can stand for themselves. God can stand for himself. You can you can doubt God and genuinely go investigate the trustworthiness of his word, the accuracy of his word, and you can investigate anything that God's word pertains to. And you will always come out, if you unbiasedly look at the facts, you will always come out proving that this book is 100% true and God is true to his word. Always, It can stand up to any test that you throw at it. And so I just want to, by way of confession, to encourage you. I want you to be encouraged because there's times even in my life where... You know, you ever have those times where you're looking at your life and you look at where you are in this particular phase of life and you think, Really? Maybe I do that sometimes. Really? I've, I've put all of my eggs in the basket that God became a man and dwelt among us and then died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin and then he rose from the dead and I sit there and I think really that's what I did and then I drive down the road and I see a sunset or I go camping and I see billions of stars in the sky and I see all sorts of God's creation just laid out perfectly and then I think yeah I did I did. I do believe it 110%. I do believe every single thing that every once in a while Satan puts that doubt in my mind. Because listen, life is not always easy. Life is difficult. You take a guy like John. John has stood for Christ for over 30, 40 years. And then what happens to John towards the end of his life? gets thrown in prison for standing for the very thing that he believes. And so it's perfectly normal for John to think... Okay, I'm doing this thing. I'm living this Christian life. I'm, I'm fearing God. I'm keeping His commandments. And then he looks around one day, and he's getting dry bread and water to drink, and he's behind bars in a cell. And it's perfectly norman, hum, normal, humanly speaking, to go, really? Is this what happened? And then to cast doubt on your actions, wondering if they were the right actions to take. And so the scriptures never say that following christ is going to be easy and it never says that everything is going to work out perfectly according to your plan But god promises amidst all of that that he has every single thing under control and so jesus here I think it's awesome how jesus comforts john instead of chastising john for his doubt and so Hopefully there's some of you here that that is encouraging for So then you go on to verse 12 and it says, no, let me go back to verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there hasn't arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And so he sets John the Baptist up above everyone else. And then he turns the tables and listens to what he says. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so he goes on to encourage all of those other people saying that John is the, 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 the most elevated that's been born of woman. And then he says, but... In the kingdom of heaven, John the Baptist would be the least. The, the least of those in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And so you go, wait a minute. So what's going on with this kingdom of heaven language? And I told you all that the kingdom of heaven is a, is a place. It's a thing. It's, it's, it's very difficult to wrap your mind around. It's one of the kind of the deeper things of scripture to be able to explain what the kingdom of heaven is. But kingdoms have kings. And so everything kind of underneath of God's rule is in the kingdom of God. You've got to accept the king to be in the kingdom. And then God gives a couple, or excuse me, then Jesus, earlier in Matthew, gives a few qualifications for you to be in the kingdom. And so we have already know that you enter the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ, but listen to what it takes also to be in the kingdom of God. He says earlier, pick up your cross and follow me. Anyone who isn't willing to pick up his cross and follow me isn't worthy of being in the kingdom. Then he also says, Whoever puts his hand to the plow and and looks back isn't fit to be in the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to go on to say in in an earlier passage that those who endure to the end will be saved. And so it's those who endure who are actually in God's kingdom. And then he goes on to say that not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so there are people who say Lord, Lord, and they call out to the Lord and they're not at all in the kingdom of heaven. And then last but not least, uh, he says everyone who hears God's word and then acts on it is in the kingdom of heaven. And that earlier verse says something very similar to those who hear God's word and act on it are in the kingdom of heaven. But it says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, but he who does the will of the Father. And so Jesus has already laid out earlier in Matthew what it takes to be in the kingdom. And then Jesus says, listen, John's the greatest of those born of women, but those of you who have entered into the kingdom of God are greater than John the Baptist is. And so he's given a a bit of a Spiritual uh, insight to what's going on, saying, Listen, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. You with me? Give me a little head nod. We all look, the kids are full of energy, and you guys look zapped of energy. Maybe they stole it all from us. And so, all kinds of neat things going on uh, in the book of Matthew, and another small snippet about the kingdom of God that the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than John. There's a, there's so many things going on in the kingdom, and there's, it takes so much to get into the kingdom of God that the cost is incredibly high that accompanies your faith. You're gonna see that it's, it's not promised to be easy, but it's promised to be restful. And so all of that to say that something strange goes on. In the kingdom of God, spiritually speaking, because when you enter into the kingdom of God, when you get into heaven as a member of the kingdom of God, you get all sorts of responsibilities that you can't even fathom right now. And so, when you are least in the kingdom of heaven, you are still put in a place where you are judging angels. The book of Hebrews is going to talk about, uh, you're only lower than the angels for a while, but later you're going to judge angels. So, You can dig into that one and figure out how that's going to work out. But then you get into the book of Revelation and you learn that those people who inherit the kingdom of heaven are actually going to get to sit on the throne of God in some way, shape or form. And so I want you to see that being in the kingdom of heaven is worth whatever it costs to get there. And Jesus will elaborate on that more later. But let's go on to verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent men take it by force. We're going to spend a lot more time on Wednesday night talking about exactly what that means. For all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John, verse 14. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. He who has an ear, let him hear. And so Jesus goes on to say that John the Baptist is the messenger out of chapter 3 of Malachi. But chapter 4 of Malachi says that uh, hopefully you remember Malachi. Malachi gives you a couple things. He ends with a few things that you need to remember as the messenger and as Jesus is on his way. And after Malachi, you have 400 years of silence. And so Malachi leaves you with a very small bullet list of what to expect coming soon. And so Matthew 3, excuse me, Malachi 3 says that the messenger is coming. And then Malachi chapter 4, which is the last chapter before the New Testament, verse 4 Of chapter four says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so Matthew goes on to tell you that Jesus said that if you'll accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah. And so what he's done as writing to the Jews is he has shown you all throughout scripture that Jesus has fulfilled prophecies. To uh, seal John's doubt, and he's also showed you who John was, so that you know exactly who John is, and you know exactly who Jesus is, and you can move forward listening to this Jesus as the messenger of the new covenant. There's a lot to be said about what what Matthew has done here. Then he says in verse sixteen, "But to what shall I compare this generation?" It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a tax, excuse me, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. And so in order to kind of understand what's going on, you've got to understand that, um, in this day and age, they don't have bulk daycare. They don't have schools that the average people are going to send their kids off to. And so if you work in the marketplace, if you buy and sell goods, then you take your children with you you may be sitting in a booth in the market all day and your kid kind of hangs out in the market with you. And so you can imagine that there's going to be a kind of a collection of kids hanging out together. And whenever kids naturally get together, they end up playing ball or they end up playing games or swimming or doing something together. In in these days, they used to do the same things that their parents did. And so they would play games like wedding and funeral. Like kids play house these days and all kinds of other things, these normal things. And so kids would pretend like they were playing the flute and they would mimic wedding music. And then when they imitated wedding music, everybody was supposed to dance and be happy. And they also see their parents singing and playing sad music when funerals are happened, And so they were supposed to pretend like they were mourning when that happened. And so he said, you... This generation, not you, but this generation is like children sitting in the marketplace who calling out to the other children and they say, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. And so if you have spent any time around kids, you have unruly kids in your midst. And so it's completely normal for a kid to pretend like he's playing the flute and a bunch of the kids dance and they have fun, but you have a couple indifferent kids who don't do it. Who, when you're playing the flute, they say, oh, we don't. We want to play funeral instead of wedding. And then when you do the dirge and they're supposed to be mourning, they say, oh, we don't want to do the dirge. We want to be singing wedding music now. We want to be happy and dancing. And so he says, this generation is very indifferent. They're not content with whatever's going on, but they're combative towards whatever they see. They always say that they want to be doing something different or doing it a different way. Then he says, he compare, he takes that comparison of the unruly, obstinate, arrogant, selfish children. And he applies it directly to that generation. And he says, listen, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. So John came doing one thing. His ministry was in such a way, and you all said he has a demon. And then the Son of Man, I came, that's Jesus eating and drinking and they say a gluttonous man and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners and so you have two different people both doing the same sorts of things but they have two completely different ministries and the people say of one he's a he's got a demon and the other one he's a glutton and a sinner and so he's telling this generation that listen whatever happens you're not happy with and then he goes on and he begins to denounce cities in verse 20 And he begins to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So he's denouncing the group that he's with and he's denouncing cities. And he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago and sat cloth and ashes. And so he tells two Jewish cities, he tells them, Listen, if the same things that were done around you were done in these two Phoenician cities these two cities who don't have anything to do with God if those miracles were done those people would have repented and you're not repenting and you had all of these great things done among you nevertheless verse 22 nevertheless I say to you it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you and you Capernaum Will not be exalted to heaven, will you? So Capernaum would have been a, a more of an arrogant city. We have everything together. We have all of our, we have, we're a very put together city and we're doing everything exactly the way it's supposed to do and we're doing it right. And he says, And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, This is Sodom and Gomorrah. If the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. And so their rejection of Christ amidst all of the miracles that were going on condemned them more than the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Nevertheless, verse 24, nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And so the cry here from Jesus to the people is that, listen, I'm doing all of these great things amongst you in these cities and you're rejecting me you are God's chosen people and you're rejecting the chosen one. And he says, if all of these miracles that that Jesus has done for them, if all of those miracles would have been done in these pagan cities, the pagan cities would have repented and they would have turned to God. But you are so close to God and all of these things are being done amongst you and it's not bringing you to repentance. And I think the danger here, the danger here for us is that churches have a lot of people in them who look put together and who have been around the things of God for a very, very long time. But it doesn't bring them to repentance. They're still doing the things that they want to do. They're still not living their life underneath of the lordship of jesus christ and they're not obeying the king who's over them and he says listen if other people would have seen the same things that you've seen they would have repented long ago and so the call here is to just examine your life no matter how long you've been in church and are you living your life under the rule of the king or are you continuing to live life however you want to live it and it's a very difficult question to ask but it's one that's worth asking no matter how long you've been around and so listen to this this is, this is how he finishes the chapter. He says, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for in this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And so he says, he thanks the Lord for for giving the message in such simple terms. The terms are very simple here to understand. He has laid out what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God, and what it doesn't look like to be in the kingdom of God. And so... A, a a second grader has no problem reading the book of Matthew and examining their life and seeing whether they measure up to God's standard or not. But then look to see what he says. He says he gives a call to everybody. And this is a, this is a unfiltered call. This is a call to anyone who will come. And so this could be the person who's, who's seen all the miracles and has rejected. This could be the person who's been in church forever and just stood still. This could be for the person who's always been at odds with whatever's going on. The call is for anybody who will come. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I want to turn over to that passage real quick. This is in the book of Jeremiah uh, that he quotes from. It's Jeremiah 6, 16. You're welcome to turn there, or you can just trust me to read it. This is where he's quoting from. And there's a there's a biblical interpretation principle that you need to know. In the Old Testament times, during Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when all these guys were writing, they didn't have chapters and verses in the Old Testament. And so if you wanted to quote something from the Old Testament, you wouldn't say, uh, you wouldn't say uh, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You would just say, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that could allude to a much wider thought. And you could be talking about the rest of the passage, but you're just giving them a reference to where you're talking about. And so just listen to what Jeremiah says in six sixteen. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. I'm going to read it again. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you shall find rest for your souls. And so that finding rest for your souls is directly in context with walking in the ancient good paths, following the law of the Lord aids you in finding rest for your soul and so let me read this again come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i'll give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light um this call of following christ of finding rest for your souls is for anybody it could be for the person who is amongst us, who's combative. It could be from the person out in the community who lives the most lewd lifestyle that is opposed to God that you could ever imagine the call is for them. I was, uh, I don't know if I ever told you about this or not, but the first church that I ever served as a youth pastor, the first church that took a chance and said, we're going to take this snotty-nosed kid and we're going to trust him with all of our other kids and we're going to pray that this thing works out. I show up and I told you this is the same church where the kid took the landscaping flag and threw it in the other kid's eye. This is the same church. So two or three weeks in, I'm outside and I'm playing basketball with the kids, and church is getting ready to start. And so all the kids are going in, and jessie has gone in and she's kind of keeping an eye on them. And there's a kid outside still, uh, he's playing basketball. So I go out to get him, and he he's a he's kind of a rough kid. Comes from a, a background that's uh, really really rough, and. I start to play basketball with him and share the gospel with him because it was worth skipping church. Listen to this. It was worth me skipping the church service to share the gospel with the kid one-on-one than it was for me to go indoors and just sit down. You with me? Sometimes ministry is unconventional. Sometimes it's worth it to skip something that everybody does in an effort to have one-on-one time with somebody else. And so that's what I did. I skipped a church service and I shared the gospel with this kid. And he looks up at me and he says, what would you tell somebody who has sold his soul to the devil? Well, that wasn't one of the interview questions, really. (laughs) That That wasn't a question anybody's ever asked me. And the kid looks at me and he says, what would God say to somebody who sold his soul to the devil? So I shot a few more baskets and thought about it. And I said... God would tell him that you can't sell your soul to the devil, that the devil already has your soul, that the devil has everybody's soul until they turn to Christ. And he would tell you that he loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you and that he can forgive you of anything that you've ever done. And that same answer that I give that kid who says he sold his soul to the devil is the same answer that I would give anybody who's struggling with anything this day and age. So I've been on vacation last week and one of the cool things about vacation is that you get cable in the hotel, right? You get free cable when you stay at an expensive hotel or any hotel for that matter. Anyways, so I've watched a few things and I've been seeing what's on the mainstream news and everybody's been out of shape about this guy named Bruce Jenner who's now a transgender individual, right? And you think, wow, what is God's response to a guy like Bruce Jenner? God's response is, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You could be a cantankerous church person who's caused trouble in church all your life. You could be a young boy who thinks that he sold his soul to the devil, or you could be a transgender individual. None of that matters. It's all sin. It's all sin. It's the same. And Jesus would say to anyone who is in sin, come to me and I'll give you rest for your souls. Each of those people that I just described, whether it's the person in church stirring up trouble or whether it's the person who thinks they've sold their soul to the devil or somebody who struggles with transgender issues, all of those people have one of have some of the same things in common. And that's their soul is in unrest And they can't rest because their souls in turmoil. And Jesus Christ came to set your soul free. And he came so that you don't have to be a slave to sin. He came so that you don't have to always be carrying around all those burdens. He came to set you free and to turn you loose and to bring liberty to you. And so if you're here and you've got any sort of sin in your life, if your soul is bogged down with all sorts of trouble, Jesus Christ came to set you free from all of that. And it doesn't say that life is going to get easy. It says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light and you'll find rest for your soul. doesn't mean that the trip is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy to do this. What it says is that the benefits are great and you'll find rest for your soul. And so I want to invite anyone here who may want rest for their soul to find it in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And... This was a really, really uh, encouraging section for me uh, as I got a chance to think about it for two weeks because I didn't have to preach last week. And so as we come to our time of invitation, uh, I want you to uh, I want you to think about your own soul and the state that your soul is in. If you're finding rest for your soul, uh, thank the Lord that you found rest in him. If your soul's not at rest, you find rest in Christ and in walking in the ancient paths. And then if you don't know Jesus Christ at all, if you're struggling with anything in life, let today be the day that you give your life to Jesus Christ and you put down your yoke and you take up His. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your many blessings. Father, we thank You that You have easily, or You have uh, very clearly laid out what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Father, we thank You that You have clearly laid out uh, what someone's life looks like who is in the kingdom of heaven. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who are open to examining our lives. Father, I thank you that you came and that you offer your yoke and you tell us that your burden is light. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here whose soul is in distress, that they would find peace and comfort in you. And Lord, I pray that as we observe the outside world and we see the craziness going on around us. Lord, I pray that we would be broken hearted for those individuals. Because they have no rest for their souls. And Lord, I pray that we would treat them like people. And that we would long for the day that you reveal yourself to them. And you save them of their sins. And so Father, I pray that you would do great things amongst us. And I pray that we would give you the liberty to do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand for our hymn of invitation. Well, it was good to see you guys again this week. I uh, always enjoy seeing you guys, and I don't just say that to say it. I enjoy spending time worshiping the Lord with you all. I want to remind any of the students that are here that are interested uh, in going to the rock wall to let me know uh, within the next 30 minutes if you're going to be able to come or not. And also, if you are on our uh, Youth and Children's Pastor Search Committee, we're going to have a brief meeting uh, over in the Fellowship Hall uh, where we normally eat so some of the kids can play upstairs and so we'll be brief over there uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and I'm going to ask uh, Brother Blunt Knowles if you would close us in prayer